If you would uh, turn to Matthew chapter 3, that would be great. Matthew chapter 3. And I'm just going to start with reading this text this morning. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up chaff, the chaff with unquenchable fire. Last week, we heard the story about Jesus coming into the world as a little baby. And if you remember, not so much from Matthew, where William preached last week, but from the story in Luke chapter 2, do you remember the words that are proclaimed about this Jesus who comes? This is good news for all the people. And he's going to bring peace and goodwill for all men. And those words, peace, goodwill for all men, sound so much differently than these words. Words like, repent for the kingdom is about to come. Confess your sins, you brood of vipers. Warning. Flee from the coming wrath. The axe is at the root of the trees. Things will be thrown up into the fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Not exactly the same kind of words as peace. And goodwill toward men. And yet the two things are very much part of the same Jesus. Now, I think that the people then were probably an awful lot like you and me as they heard these words. It had been hundreds of years since they had seen God clearly active in the last great prophet to come before Israel. And I don't know when the last time it was that you saw a great prophet come out of God's people and arise with a message from God, but I don't see it every day. 
I don't see incredible miracles. I don't see God coming with a special messenger. In fact, things have been going on for a while the way they have been going. Now, in the meantime, for them, during that period, there had become one big global community. The Roman Empire had taken over. And because the Romans were now in control of everything, there was incredible communication like there had never been before. And that's like our time. We have communication in a kind of one global community like we've never had before. Worldwide trade was happening among them at that point like it had never happened before. And of course, worldwide trade is happening among us like it's never happened before. There were opportunities for evil and mistreatment of others in incredible ways. And people were looking for answers, and I don't think that's much different than today. And people were asking questions like, how long is God going to leave us here? How long will the powers that control us continue to be in authority? And they lived in a world that included the worship of hundreds of gods, which were in one sense an attempt to bring order into life. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. And and so he comes on the scene in a world that is very much like ours. And he has a message that is very much like what we hear and know. And yet, at the same time, it's so very new. If John's message says anything, it's this. That there is about to be incredible change. That the kingdom of heaven is about to dawn. The king is coming. The Lord is the king and he is coming. The presence of the Holy Spirit is coming. Judgment is coming. And he makes a prophecy about this one who is about to come and change everything. Hundreds of years before there had been prophecies made. And he says these are now fulfilled. And so you better prepare. Prepare the way for Yahweh. Make straight paths for him. It's like, you know, today we use language like this. We would say... If we're watching a hockey game, we would say, that's a game changer. He just took that guy into the boards, took the puck, made the pass. They sprinted down the ice and he got a great shot on goal and he didn't score. But oh, the momentum has completely changed. And what's just happened with the coming of John the Baptist on the scene, as he begins to preach and tell people what's going on, what God is doing in the world is that there is a game changer. Things are about to be different in a huge, huge way. And they will, in fact, never be different or not be the same again. I just realized I forgot my remote. Thank you, dear. That's a game changer. If you have your remote, it's a game changer. There are, in this passage, two claims and a call that I want us to look at this morning. And the first claim is this. God is now present in the lives of people like he had never been present before. Now you think about it. What have we been doing the last several months? God's redemptive story. We've looked at all kinds of stories. We've looked at Abraham sacrificing his son or Tempted to sacrifice his son or on the road to sacrifice his son, Isaac. We've looked at Moses who hears 
a message from a burning bush and goes down into Egypt and frees the people. We've heard about kings who came. We've heard about David who commits sin but ends up still being God's man. We've heard about how God has throughout history been with Israel, leading them, taking them along, and despite their sinfulness, love them. We've read about the captivity. We read about Daniel in that captivity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God has shown himself over and over again to us throughout the last several months through this story. But in this story, it's different. God is personally coming to the earth in a person. And one who is more significant, with more authority, than anyone that the world has ever seen. His rule and authority are becoming directly present because his kingdom is being established on the earth in a new way. And the nation of Israel as God's representative is being replaced. Replaced by God's people still, in this case, the church, but nonetheless a church that is so much different than what there has been in the past because God now lives among those people. And so he came in a drastically new way and God's presence is with us in a drastically new way. The second thing is that God is changing the rules about how his children are born. John the Baptist knew what it meant to be a child of God. It meant to be a Jew. You're raised as a Jew. And even those who are the brood of vipers are part of that kingdom and that nation are in that sense still children of God. And so it was Jewish heritage that said you are a child of God. That's what puts you in relationship with God. Now there's a new way. There's a new baptism. There's a new way of becoming a child. It includes faith, the washing away of sin. There's a repentance like there's never been before. The Holy Spirit comes. The King comes. And the immersion of humankind in God's presence is what comes with Jesus. And so notice that immediately after this story, what does Jesus do? Jesus himself is baptized. And at the end of the story of the baptism of Jesus, what happens? It says that the Holy Spirit comes and lights upon him and enters his own own life. And it's it's really a picture of what's supposed to happen for all of us. Because a new relationship has been arranged. We now experience baptism. And in the course of being baptized, God sends his spirit. And something new and dramatically different happens in the lives of people that had never happened before. And all this starts here with John's message and John's claims. So those are two claims. God is now present in the lives of people like he had never been before. God is changing the rules about how his children are born. And so everything in that sense is changed. We live in a completely different kind of world. Now there's one here who God says, this is my son. And in the process, he looks at us and says, you too are my sons and daughters. So those things are dramatically different. But then there's the call. And this in itself, I think, separates what John is doing from everything else that has gone before. 
the call comes, in this case, with a series of imperatives. Now you ask, what's an imperative? What is God doing? What is God commanding? Well, it's something like this. I remember when I was five years old, and I walked out of the house into my front yard, and there was a kid across the street who had a rope. Paul was his name. I don't remember his last name. He lived in a house that was built in about 1890. Big, tall house with about three or four floors. All the ceilings were really high. All the floors creaked. And Paul is out in the yard, and he's got this rope, and he's swinging around acting like a cowboy, and I thought that was so cool. So I ran back in the house, and my dad said to me, you know, he must have known something was going to happen, and dad said to me, look, do not, whatever you do, leave our front yard. You cannot leave our yard. Now that was an imperative. So I ran in the house and I got a ball of string because I didn't have any rope, but I wanted to act like a cowboy too. And so I got a ball of string and I made a, a, a lasso just out of string, like out of kite string. Of course, you can't really do anything with that. It's a pretty sad rope, okay? But I went out into the front yard with my sad little rope and I'm trying to swing this thing around. Well, Paul, who didn't have any scruples, ran across the street, grabbed my string from me, and ran back across the street. I'm standing in the front yard now. I've been told, you cannot leave the front yard. And Paul has just stolen my precious string rope. And so as he was running back across the street with my string, I stepped off the curb and started into the street after Paul, who has my string. And about the time I get to the middle of the street, I hear the door behind me slam. And I knew immediately what had happened. And I said to myself, I was five, I said to myself, I have violated the imperative. <laughs> and so I turned around and I saw my dad coming out of the house steaming. And he took me in the house and he indicated that indeed I had violated the imperative. <laughs> well, God gives us certain imperatives. Listen to the ones in this verse, or in these verses. Repent, which simply means to change. It means change your life. Prepare the way, he says, which really means, in this context, prepare your hearts. Make straight paths for him, which really means get your life in order. Produce fruit, which simply means it's time for action, not just talk. And here's the one that scares me most. Look at verse 9. He says, and do not think. You can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't think that you're okay, that you're in, that you've made it. Instead, this whole new coming requires of you pretty careful self-examination. And, and this is the point, I think, at which the church has to kind of stop for a moment and ask questions of itself. Because sometimes we're in a mode of thinking, I'm in. Things are okay. I'm fine. And all the while, God is saying, I still want you to consider yourselves. And there are people in this passage who are very religious. And John the Baptist says to them, you brood of snakes. 
You vipers! Even as they think they are so religious. Now, one of the best things about being a preacher, and I'm serious, is that you are constantly confronted with the sermon. The rest of you, you can shut it off. I can't. Constantly confronted by the word of God. And there is a sense in which I'm very much like you, and that is, I am tempted. I am weak in my life. Sometimes my mind does wander from the task. Someone said recently to me, you don't have the problems I have. You don't have struggles like I do. And I thought to myself, you don't know. You think I'm not tempted by laziness? You think I'm not tempted by materialism? You think I'm not tempted to be arrogant? You think I'm not tempted by discouragement? You think I'm not tempted by lust? And now everybody's going, what? (laughs) I've told you before about, I remember the time that my seven-year-old and I are watching TV. Adam is about seven, our firstborn son, and, and this scantily clad, bikini-clad woman is on television, and Adam turns to me and he says, that's the kind of girl we don't like, right, Dad? (laughs) Which just proves that I'm also tempted to lie. (laughs) Let me tell you this. This week, I'm going to confess something. This week, someone gave to the church $100. And they gave it in cash. And they put it in an unmarked envelope and stuck it inside the mailbox over here. And I was the one who found it. And I didn't know what it was. I opened it up and there was $100. There were five brand new $20 bills inside that envelope. For a moment... For a moment, it flashed through my mind. I thought to myself, no one would ever know. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, that's horrible. We have a lead minister who could be tempted to steal from God. And what you really mean is that we have a lead minister who is just like us. John the Baptist would say to you, shut up, you snakes. (laughs) Because you are, in that sense, just like me. Now, fortunately for you and me, we have one who came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And if there's any reason why the $100 didn't end up in my pocket and instead ended up in the box in the office so that Jack could pick it up, it's not because of me. Like, I would like to say the thought didn't flash through my mind, but it did. And therein lies the only hope that you and I have. And that is that there is one more powerful than us, one whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. And still he names me one of his children because he came for this very reason. Because he loves me and he gives himself for me. 
And it's only because he came and he brought his kingdom with him that I can live it all. And so if there's anything in the call that we hear today, it's this. If there's anything in this call, it's a call to come to the king. It's a call to give over our actions, our thoughts, our lives to the king and to the service of his kingdom. And the fact is that we're way too comfortable. We're way too cozy. We're way too satisfied. We're way too convinced that we're removed from sin. We're way too distracted from that which is important. And John is calling the people then, just like he's calling the people now, back to think on these things. And so if you haven't come to Christ, if there are words here about repentance and preparation and confession and baptism and the Holy Spirit, if there are words here about sin and judgment and the king, then the call is on you to respond to Jesus, to confess him as Lord, repent of your sin the way John called those people to repent, to be baptized as those people were being baptized. In this case, in the name of Jesus, to receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit because God wants that for all of us. It is a new age. It is a new day. The times are not the same. Because the king has come and he wants your life. Just like he loves me and wants mine. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've given us the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the new king that comes, the new kingdom that comes, the new way that comes. We thank you that you've changed things, that we don't have to be the same, overcome by the world. But through you, we can transcend our world and become different and make the decisions we should make. Continue to change our hearts and make us like you. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.